what I always say to patients the first time they come in is that why Virtua is doing this is for two things. One, we care about the whole you. And two, we recognize that there's really no such thing as mental health or physical health. It's just health. Welcome to One Other Thing, the official podcast of Virtua Physician Partners. I'm your host, Dan Master. In this episode, we're going to be talking about behavioral health. We'll first start by talking about what behavioral health really means, and then we'll get into what Virtuous strategy is behind implementing programs that address the behavioral health needs of our community. In tackling those two topics, you're going to hear from three guests in this episode, and I'm going to let the three of them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Dr. Jay Case. I'm the Program Director for Behavioral Health at Virtual. I'm also the Chair of the Department of Psychiatry. Hi, I'm Mary Matthews Frandon. I'm a licensed clinical social worker working as a therapist in uh, the VMG primary care offices. Hi, I'm Dr. Andy Cohen. I'm a primary care doctor in Washington Township. I'm also the medical director of Virtual Physician Partners, which is our clinically integrated network and also provide medical directorship work for Virtua Medical Group, the employed physician network of Virtua. Now, in terms of the layout of what you will hear in this episode, you're first going to hear from Andy and Jay talk about Virtua's strategy behind behavioral health. And then Jay is actually going to speak with a behavioral health practitioner about her experience working in a practice. Now, before I turn the mic over to Andy and Jay, I just want to point you to the show notes of this episode. In the show notes, you'll see a link that'll take you to Virtua's 2020 to 2022 Community Health Needs Assessment Action Plan. In the action plan, there is a lot of good information about what Virtua's behavioral health strategy is from a high level. I think it'll uh, do you well to look over that document, either while you're listening to this episode or after, just to put into context uh, the needs of the community based on uh, research that was conducted for uh, the current iteration of the Community Health Needs Assessment. And now I'm going to turn the mic over to Andy. Andy is going to kick his conversation off with Jay by telling a quick story about his experience with behavioral health in the practice. So the one story I have is a primary care doc that I think is valuable to share is I have a patient who has poorly controlled diabetes and I haven't been able to get her A1C under control for the past five or six years. And finally, I, I sat down with her and I just said, so, so what's going on? And she started to talk about how her daughter's wedding was coming up and she couldn't afford the wedding and she was having marital troubles at home and she wasn't sleeping well and she was ashamed to admit it. And, you know, one thing led to another, which led to another. And I started to recommend that we should not make any medication changes and we should instead focus on her mental well-being and let the physical well-being follow. And she loved that idea. And I suggested going to... um, to a therapist and she said do you have any recommendations and um i said well yes we 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 have a behavioral health licensed clinical social worker that that comes into our practice that i can definitely refer you to and i said of course if you'd rather not come into the practice you, i can refer you elsewhere and she said that she would never take that referral and go outside of the office because of fear of shame, feeling humiliated at, at needing to do so. But if she could come to the practice and know that we were there for her and she could just check in like it's a regular office visit, she would show up and she sure did. 
So just to follow up on that story, uh, uh, Andy, um, in fact, there's pretty good evidence that if you treat underlying depression and anxiety in patients who are comorbid with that and uh, diabetes or hypertension, you actually see improvements in the diabetes and hypertension. And we're really excited by that. Uh, one of the things that we do uh, with our licensed cl clinical social workers is we have them keep a registry of all the patients we're seeing, and we actually um, quantify uh, the depression with a scale called a PHQ-9 or quantify anxiety with a scale called a GAD-7, GAD-7. But I've also asked them to start quantifying in those patients who have diabetes, their hemoglobin A1C, and in those patients with hypertension, their uh, blood pressures. Uh, and, and we really want to follow these over time uh, and see if we're making an impact. One of the, the powerful things about this registry is that we are able to follow over time and see if we're making an impact. If we're not, we're doing something wrong. And, and when we notice we're doing something right, we can try and uh, 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 make sure we're doing that more. So Jay, do you mind telling me what your role in behavioral health care and your thoughts on behavioral health uh, as related to virtual are specifically in the outpatient world? Sure, sure, Andy. Uh, behavioral health, uh, for people who may not even know what that term really refers to, is talking about psychiatry and psychiatric illness, the treatment of things like depression, anxiety, uh, severe uh, mental illness, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and uh, even uh, stresses of uh, everyday life. And uh, my perspective is that behavioral health problems are very, very common and not well attended to in, in the uh, health system in general. Uh, what's really important uh, in understanding behavioral health is that uh, one quarter of all uh, individuals in the United States at one point or another will have a diagnosable uh, behavioral health problem. Uh, my vision is that behavioral health really needs to be integrated into the mainstream of, of medical care as just as integrated as diabetes care is or the care of high blood pressure or the care of arthritis or asthma or any number of things that, that are routinely thought of as part of the healthcare system. One of the major uh, focuses that I've had is to actually start uh, on the primary care level. Uh, with bringing uh, behavioral health into the primary care practices. So, Jay, I was doing some reading the other day, and I noticed, um, surprisingly, that more than half of the counties nationwide do not have a behavioral health presence, and those that do still have an inadequate workforce. So, you know, you know knowing that when a patient has a behavioral health diagnosis, it contributes significantly to their overall cost of care. I've seen studies that show that it increases the total cost by about four times for one diagnosis. What are your thoughts as to how you, in spearheading our behavioral health leadership, can take that data and help us at VMG and VPP to take steps to kind of really move us in the right direction? Yes. Well, I think... You know, there is a, a population health kind of branch within VMG, VPP, the integrated care group. And I think working with them, you know, what we've tried to do is actually develop models in which we're embedding 
uh, behavioral health practitioners right within the practices and, and embedding expertise that can leverage uh, uh, limited resources to be able to spread out among a large number of practices. The models we're looking at both involve embedding some sort of uh, experienced therapist within a practice that a patient can access and actually see right there at the practice. Uh, the idea would be that these, these uh, therapists are, are available either on an appointment basis or on an as-needed as basis right at the time uh, to work with the patient in some sort of short-term care management. The model we've looked at is actually adding a, a, a prescriber uh, in, in the model we're using right now. This would be a uh, advanced practice nurse who's uh, specially trained in psychiatric medications to make recommendations to the primary care managers in collaboration with information that they get from the therapists in the practice and have the primary care physicians able to prescribe those medications, but with the support uh, and feedback uh, and education from the APN, this, this leverages a very short-handed resource uh, the, the prescribers and enables them to be able to interact with, say, a dozen different practices, uh, which really uh, extends uh, the ability to treat to a large number of patients. Uh, that's fantastic. Now, I know that not all of our practices will have access to these licensed clinical social workers who are overseen by the advanced practice nurse and overseen by yourself, exactly. Can you speak to perhaps uh, some of the other practices that, that, that may not have this resource and what, what's available for them elsewhere, either within the practices or the community? Yeah, we've, we've explored a variety of other models. Uh, one of the models is to have uh, uh, master's level therapists uh, who aren't as uh, advanced trained as the therapists uh, that we're using in the other models, uh, but who are still there available, able to do some short-term therapy. Um, we are working collaboratively with a number of practices in the community to extend uh, the abilities of patients to access treatment. One of the uh, treaters that we're working with, the Center for Family Guidance, actually has a branch called Empathy, I-N-P-A-T-H-Y, which offers uh, essentially telepsychiatry services via uh, um, smartphone or, or via laptop uh, and these uh, services are far more available than in-person services. This is still a very new kind of cutting-edge approach uh, to treatment, but it is available. In addition, uh, Virtua has partnered uh, with a local uh, provider of behavioral health, uh, Legacy. And in fact, we're opening outpatient services on our Berlin campus. Uh, Legacy has agreed to take uh, uh, Virtua referrals uh, as a... Uh, preferred uh, provider, uh, and um, we're very optimistic that this will be helpful in terms of uh, access. And just one more point to that. As I understand, our LCSW program, MSW program, and the legacy program take patients of any insurance, correct? Ultimately, yes, all insurances. Part of the problem has to do with getting, getting some of the uh, social workers on panels uh, of the insurers, and, and that empaneling is a very complex process, uh, often requires dozens if not hundreds of pieces of paper to be faxed and transferred back and forth. So it's a work in progress. But, but safe, safe to say, when in doubt, 
place the referral. Absolutely. Thank you, Andy and Jay, for that conversation. So to summarize that conversation in just a few words, Andy and Jay discussed how Virtua has either implemented or is in the process of implementing behavioral health programs, specifically through embedding behavioral health practitioners within your practices. Now, Jay is going to discuss how the programs work on the ground with an experienced behavioral health practitioner, Mary. Mary and Jay touch on how nurses, physicians, social workers, and therapists interact in the office when addressing the behavioral health needs of their patients. Now, here is Jay and Mary's conversation. So Mary and I have worked together pretty closely uh, on a lot of cases, and I, I think it'd be very valuable to hear from her some of her experiences of what this has been like and, and, and some of uh, her impressions of uh, what the impact has been. Sure. Uh, since we started about two years ago, I've been doing this in three different practices, uh, working in two of them now. And I would say there isn't necessarily a typical patient. Uh, I see we, all adults, so I have patients from age 18 all the way up to 90. So you can imagine that their, their concerns vary. Uh, I think there's probably two or three buckets that these patients fall into. Uh, one of them, uh, like Dr. Cohen alluded to, is the, is the folks with chronic illness uh, that are coming to the doctor anyway. And uh, over time, you start to notice that there's a an underlying something going on. Maybe you're not sure what, uh, but either the patient isn't progressing like you would expect medically, or they actually um, relay to you that they are having some depression, anxiety, or, or just generic stress. Uh, so that's one bucket of patients. The other group of patients that I see a lot of is people that are presenting actually looked for a doctor or came into the office solely because they're having a mental health concern. Um, and they don't know what else to do, so they go to their primary care doctor. And they may not have any acute medical issues going on, but they're having stress, anxiety, depression, mood, uh, things that interfere with their daily functioning. So there's other, you know, there's grief, there's a little bit of everything in our primary care population, but those are probably the, the most of, the, of what we see. Mary. Uh, maybe you could tell people a little bit about how it is that patients come to your attention. Sure. The primary way that we get referrals is uh, directly through the chart through Epic with um, a task sent to us. That way we can review the chart, we can contact the patient, see if they're interested, and then kind of go from there. Uh, we try to schedule them pretty quickly and uh, explain over the phone what, what they're in for and reduce any anxiety that they have about coming in. Uh, it's surprising how much anxiety people have, even about the thought of going to counseling. People actually get worked up thinking about how, what they're going to say, what's expected of them, whether that's stigma-related or whether it's just something intimidating that they uh, haven't done before. And, and how has it been uh, accepted by the primary care practices? How, how's the relationship with the actual, uh, say, the doctors and the practice managers and the, and the nurses and the MAs and the practices? The, uh, all the practices that I am working with uh, are overjoyed. I don't think that's an overstatement. A couple things I think that are very successful about what we do is we actually contact the patient directly. So it takes it right out of their hands. They do not need to, uh, to call us and be uncomfortable or not sure what to say or uh, not sure what to disclose. Another area that I think is important to talk about is your relationship with the prescriber. 
you used to work with me, so but we won't talk about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> now you have the advantage of working with uh, Carrie Ashaburia, who's uh, an advanced practice nurse, and I know that she meets, I think, regularly with you. Is it weekly? Yep, weekly. And you review cases and things. Yep. You want to talk a little bit about that, what that's like, and how sure. um, uh, the medication side of things and, and perhaps uh, the diagnosis side of things and, and more uh, challenging patients uh, might come up and sure. be addressed. So we meet weekly with uh, some support from psychiatry. Usually it's Carrie, sometimes it's uh, Dr. Case. And uh, we review cases, particularly new cases, um, cases where there are questions either about diagnosis or treatment. Uh, many of the patients we see have been started on a medication by the primary care doctor. Uh, sometimes they've been through several medications, uh, and so the next step is to have uh, a psychiatric practitioner take a look and see if there's different suggestions. I would refer that patient on, often in conjunction with the primary care doc. We have a discussion. Uh, Carrie then sees the patient, uh, presents her recommendations, which I then take a look at, also discuss with the patient, and so then we're all on the same page. Again, it sounds very powerful. It, it, there's a whole bunch of questions that could come up in my mind. Uh, does the uh, prescriber ever make recommendations about medications without seeing the patient? Uh, yes, she does. Uh, we present cases to Carrie, and we always review the medicines, both uh, the psychiatric and the non-psychiatric medicines. And... Uh, we look at for any interactions, we look at what the response to the various medicines have been, and sometimes Carrie will make a recommendation that uh, we stop or start or change a dose. Sometimes she makes recommendations about lab work that could be done to give us a better idea of what's going on. Uh, mm -hmm. All of that is documented in the chart, and uh, the primary care doctor is free to call and speak directly with her if there's any questions. When you're communicating with the primary care doc, uh, are there various ways that you do it? Do you see, talk to the doc yep. in person? Do you, you know, how does that work? Yep. In the practices I'm in, I do have the opportunity often to speak to them in person. That is not always possible. Um, so either way, whether we're talking in person or not, it still gets documented in the chart. Mm -hmm. Typically, we use a phone call template as the way to do that. So we communicate back and forth. Great, great. Yeah, again, it seems like there's so many uh, positives here. Uh, how long do you typically spend with a patient? Most patients are seen about 45 to 50 minutes. Um, an assessment can take a, a little longer, that initial appointment. It really depends on what is necessary or what's useful for that particular patient. Okay, great. Thank you, Jay and Mary, for providing those details. Now, Jay referenced virtuous collaboration with Legacy Treatment Services in his conversation with Andy. Legacy opened up an adult outpatient behavioral health center on the Virtua Berlin campus on December 10, 2018. The services offered at the Berlin campus will include individual psychotherapy and medication management for ages 18 and up with behavioral health needs. Now, before we sign off, we just have to say the content of this podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 
Always seek the advice of a physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the authors and guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Virtua Physician Partners. In closing, I just want to thank Andy, Jay, and Mary for participating in this episode and providing such great content for our listeners. To everyone else listening, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me at dmaster at virtua.org. We'll be back soon to discuss one other thing.